Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org ay. That's puredesire.org ay. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Battling sexual brokenness and the effects it brings is not something that can be done alone. Pure Desire groups exist to be your safe place to find freedom, recovery, and healing from sexual brokenness, betrayal, and relationship issues. Whether you or someone you love is struggling or you've experienced betrayal, there is a group for you. Pure Desire is here to give you the roadmap to healing. To find a group online or in your area, visit puredesire.org slash groups. What is up, people? I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you are listening to episode 122 of the Pure Desire podcast. Here with me is my co-host, as always, Nick Stumbo. Yoo-hoo, family! Big summer blowout! Okay, it sounds super familiar. Help me. Uh, from Frozen uh, at the Oaken Trading Post, which <laughs> okay. the character, do you know the character's name? No. His name is actually Oki oh, okay, at the Oaken Trading Post. So I, I thought it'd be a good intro because he seems like a very friendly, inviting kind of chap. And that's what today's episode is all about, you know, engaging people into groups. Totally. We sat down with Dan and Jen Howie. Uh, Dan is now our new online groups administrator, and uh, Jen is volunteering with us, spending a lot of time around the office. We love her. They have had experience in leading groups. They've mm-hmm. both been regional group advisors, and we sat down with them really to talk about what it looks like to promote Pure Desire groups in your church. Yeah, really trying to wrestle with this issue of uh, how do you get people to join a group that maybe they're not sure what it right. is or they're uncomfortable, and so... The whole point here being there's not a whole lot of value in having groups if you don't have a way to successfully get people to engage and join the group. And so we just tried to process a lot of ways to Mm -hmm. deal with the hurdles that people face, church culture issues, uh, even how you approach discipleship. So I I think there's a lot in here, whether you're someone trying to understand groups and are thinking about joining one, or you're more on the other side where you're now looking, how do I pay it forward? How do I help other people experience what I'm experiencing? And to to just talk about and promote groups in a way that others will want to join you. Yep. And they, uh, Dan and Jen, are awesome. We loved our time with us. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Dan and Jen, it's you guys' first time on the podcast. We're super excited to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank Thank you. you. 
Uh, we, just for you listener out there, uh, we are going to have them on a future episode. So I know you're like, who are these new people? They're so pretty. We don't know what to do. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was specifically talking about you, Dan, of course. Uh, we are going to have them on a future episode, Stories of Healing. You'll get to hear more about them and their story because I know you guys have a great story. So we have you on, though. Um, you guys have had some experience being regional group advisors mm-hmm. um, for uh, what regions have you guys been involved with? We have been involved in the Oregon region, uh, specifically Central Oregon, but uh, we've overseen some of the uh, group leaders in uh, the Oregon and Washington area. Great. And now online. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have had experience in what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of promoting pure desire groups in your church. So uh, let's just get into it. You guys ready? Absolutely. Cool. So the first question we have is when it comes to promoting groups on sexual integrity or healing from betrayal, a lot of churches assume maybe like an AA group or something that it needs to be this like closet in a dark corner, like it's downstairs in the basement of a church. Um, So do we agree that that's how it should be, or should these be more public groups in a church? Well, just the way you phrase that question leads me to a pretty obvious answer that absolutely not. These are need to be a public and um, very visible uh, ministry. One of the things that we fought against in so many places and so many churches is the idea of we want to support it, uh, we want to we want it to be available, but we don't really want to uh, put it out there. Uh, it may raise too many questions. We may have blowback, things like that. So um, we've always gone in with the idea that hey, we want to make this as public as possible. Make it normal. It's just another way to uh, heal your church and heal your congregation. And I think their intent on kind of pushing it into the back corner really is to protect the individuals that are involved. Right. And I think sometimes that there's a um, miscommunication that, um, yes, the individuals involved mm-hmm. are not public, but the ministry itself absolutely should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you want to recognize in this area that people coming to your church for help that are often in a lot of pain when it comes to their sexual issues. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out, yeah. is this a safe place that can help me? And if they're checking out your website, they're looking at your worship folder or your bulletin, and they don't see anything about it, yeah. their conclusion can be, I don't think they deal with this here. And and I've, I've been amazed at churches I know that have groups and just checking out their website, it's like, you have to be a private investigator to find yeah. out where yeah, they're they're exactly. at. It's it's a like a sleuth mission. Uh, <laughs> so I think you want to put it out there. What we've often said is the fact that you have groups should be very public. Yeah. Now the groups themselves, like who's in them, maybe mm-hmm. even who's leading them. Yeah. Um, I know when I led, when they met was also confidential, just so that people didn't know. Oh, Monday night's recovery group night, you know, and they drive by the church and be like, oh, I know that person's car and that person's. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there, there are some confidentiality things you want to think about, but, mm-hmm. but you really want to celebrate. We can help in this area, and mm-hmm. the last thing I would just say about it that. The person who needs help is often not, um, they're not super connected to your church. Yeah. And this is part of why they're not very connected, because they feel issues that are, are alienating them, that isolate them, mm-hmm. and, and they won't be in the know for a lot of what your church does. So it might be a, a spouse of someone who the spouse comes regularly, but they hardly ever do. And for them to really hear about the groups, you, you need to put them forward. You need to make it visible so that that person who's maybe more on the fringe hears and goes, wow, there's there's actually something there for me. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think too, the, like the topic, I was thinking about this earlier this morning, that like secretive does not equal inviting. It very rarely does. Right. Like this isn't like uh, the Freemasons where it's a secret society that I'm like super excited to try to be a part of, which I'm not, don't worry. I just watched <laughs> National Treasure recently. But I think that it's important you understand because of how shameful the topic is, if it's secretive, that will equal shameful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But of course, you're not yeah. going to talk about it because these people feel shame and carry it when it comes to this area of their life, when in reality, it should be more public because then it's communicating, it's okay to have issues in this problem mm-hmm. or this this it's okay to have problems in this area and then it's also okay to address them. Yeah. yeah. Dan actually had a great analogy. He said, can you imagine if you had a food pantry for the hungry, but not telling them about it? Yeah. Um, if you had to dig for wow, it. Very pastoral that's good. of you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> do you want another one? Sure. <laughs> Let's hear it, please. It? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. No. Yeah, I do have another one, but I'm not going to. Okay. I'll throw it out good. later. For maybe. a later podcast. Yeah. Got it. I was going to say, if it's, if it's like Fight Club, you know, the first rule of Fight Club right. is you don't talk about, about Fight Club, Club. Yeah. Right. then you've got a problem because people aren't going to yeah. find out where they can go to get help. That's Let's right. make sure listeners understand we're not promoting the, the movie Fight Club. Sure. Like we I've never actually seen the movie. That's like the one quote I know from the whole movie. So <laughs> it's good. That's good. Well, it's okay. Let's move on from Fight Club. Let's okay. See. All right. So uh, we, we want to talk about how to promote groups because for a lot of leaders, churches, um, even someone just trying to get the word out, maybe they're not on staff. They're like, how do I promote this? So um, when promoting groups, especially when you're maybe just getting started, it can make sense to really promote the groups that are for the struggling spouse. And more often than not, that's the men. So we're we're gearing a group towards men and talking a whole lot about that. And that, that seems like the obvious natural thing to do. But why might that be a problem if the primary thing a group is doing is just talking about all this help they have for men and their sexual purity? Well, first of all, it's not, you know, lust isn't just a man's issue. It's a woman's issue, too. And um, I think it was in, I looked up a statistic in psychology today saying 73% of women actually struggle with looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. So across the board, we we have this assumption that women don't have this struggle. So we want to reach out to all groups. We want to reach out to any individual that's struggling, and we want to reach out to any individual that has um, experienced the effects of betrayal. So we re- often rarely even consider the impact that betrayal has on a man, mm-hmm. and um, we need to shed light on the struggle in, in, in both arenas of um, sexual integrity for for everyone, it's paramount that we have to actually have this conversation and, and bring to light what's available for everybody mm-hmm. in the context of the healing process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we see uh, it's a big thrust. A lot of times, people are like, "I just got to get right," you know, and that's usually comes to light as a as a guy who's had a some sort of uh, disclosure or something's come out. Um, like Jen said, there, that can be just as um, equally a woman. Uh, but then there's also, this is just a, a community issue, a family issue. Yeah. This impacts so many aspects of it. So you do want to be able to support the person who's been betrayed. And you do want to be able to support the younger person who may not uh, be able to uh, or may not be a, a good fit for yeah. um, either Seven Pillars of Betrayal and Beyond Group. Right. So uh, there's just making it um, a part of life. Like this is a problem mm-hmm. that we see. And uh, here's, we have something to offer. Yeah. I think inadvertently what ends up happening when we're just opening it to men is you're ending, you're saying that uh, this is only a man's problem. So you're inadvertently teaching a message that isn't true. And I don't think that we actively think that, that 
really the heart is I just want to help men get freedom from this. And that's why I'm promoting it or talking about it. Mm -hmm. But then when that female who's struggling hears it, it's like, oh, okay. So I really do should feel this double amount of shame that I'm struggling. And then I'm struggling with only a man's problem. So I think the messaging too has to be really Mm -hmm. considered when promoting groups. Yeah. 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 Well, and that doesn't mean when you go to start groups, you've got to have, you know, four different varieties ready that you've got men who struggle, men who've been betrayed, women who struggle, women who've been betrayed, because that can feel overwhelming. Yes. But in the way you talk about it, to even make clear that we want to have a plan. And so I've I've heard churches that maybe they're ready to start a men's group, but as they're announcing it, they'll say, and and we would like to have groups for women as well. And and maybe at that point they don't have some leaders ready. And part of the announcement is if if you're a woman that is interested in helping in this area or has a passion for this ministry or would like to be trained, yes. please approach us or the staff, you know, whoever the right person is, and let's talk about it. Because even if you're not ready, you can use the the starting of one group as the springboard for the other. So don't get intimidated and think you've got to have everything ready all at once. Yeah. But just totally. be thinking about how do we help everyone, and right. that will, even in your messaging, make sure that people feel included. Well, yeah. And the good part is you do now have the opportunity to provide something for everyone with online groups because you do True. have if you're not uh, if you're not Plug. ready <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> to start an unraveled group uh, which would be the uh, same idea as the seven yep. pillars for men yep. we have online groups for that with yep. excellent excellent uh, leaders so you can fully offer uh, every everything yeah. for at your church so, Jen, you started talking a little bit about betrayed spouses, mm-hmm. and I think that um, we see the value naturally of someone who needs uh, a group that's struggling with sexual integrity, whether it's porn or sex addiction, or just really feeling like they don't have healing or they need some healing in that area. Um, but it's it's really difficult for, especially on the front end of a recovery story and yeah. of healing, for a betrayed spouse to be like, oh, I need group. So basically, like, how do we promote betrayal groups um, which sounds, I guess that sounds terrible. How do we promote healing groups <laughs> for spouses that are betrayed? <laughs> it's okay. I'm not, I'm not a professional. Um, so how do we promote betrayal groups well and in a way that communicates value and invitation yeah. for, for spouses that are feeling that betrayal? You know, for each woman that comes into group, their motivation to attending group um, can be vastly different. I know that for me, I was very, very hungry to understand why my awesome husband was doing some really not so awesome things. Totally. And yeah. um, other women come into group because they're angry and they need a place to process that anger. Some women come into group um, broken and isolated and alone and they just need a place where they can connect. So that question is actually slightly complicated because you are not just promoting groups to one specific type of individual. You're yeah. promoting groups to people with multiple wounds, and yeah. and there's a lot of unpacking that needs to be done. But I think really the benefit to for a woman to attend a group, um, first of first of all, is to be around other people who get it. Yeah. How many times that have you? Experience. How easy is it, yeah. is it just to be around other people who just get it? So that when you mm-hmm. walk in a room. There's no background story that needs to be um, explained because right. the people in the room just get it. There's and an expectation you walk in with this kind of story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And suddenly my really big overwhelming story isn't as big and overwhelming mm. um, because that, that load is being carried by every single person in the room. And then all of a sudden you're relating to people, you're connecting with people, isolation is removed. Um, that alone is incredibly healing. And so 
I think a, a lot of times w- women don't want to be in group because it's they don't have a problem. It's their husband that has a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, their husband does have a problem. And so that's another great reason to be in group beca- because their husband has a problem. Yeah. We need yeah. to discuss how that affects our lives, how that affects the lives of our children, and what happens next in my marriage. So no matter the reason to not attend group, that's the very reason to attend group because um, there's just a lot to process in the in the whole uh, betrayal process. And so um, I often encourage women to at least do a one-on-one with someone, yeah. um, hear their story, and then consider coming into group. Yeah. It, like, as I'm so... I have never been a betrayed spouse. That's not my experience. But what I know about myself is that that idea of pressing into painful things in my life mm-hmm. is the least inviting thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to press into that. And so I think that in some ways, not pursuing groups like this can also, and this is, again, I'm making the disclaimer, this is not everybody, but I know that in my experience, I can make excuses um, or present these reasons why not to get into my own healing because it's going to be really painful. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody who's been in a pure desire group and has gone through that experience and had that healing, they know, like they yes. know that I really had to power through the pain and difficulty in my life and I found freedom on the other end. But I think that that's a hurdle that in a lot of ways we end up putting in front of ourselves to actually experiencing freedom, that we then have to hurdle our own thing we put there in the first place. And so I would just encourage anybody who's listening that if this is your experience, if you if you do have betrayal in your story, to understand that pushing through the pain is really the first big hurdle. But once you're over that and mm-hmm. understand what it means to move through that, mm-hmm. that's where healing really takes place. Yeah. Yeah. It's super important or it's really helpful if you can both speak the same language. If your husband is joining a That's group. True. Oh, okay. And so both spouses. Yeah, yeah. both yeah. spouses. Yeah, you've got um, a guy who's learning about a faster scale and wants to talk about a, a wound. And if you're uh, on the same page and can connect over these sort of things and have an understanding as he's going through what, what he's talking about, um, it really helps communication. That growth together is just takes off. So. Yeah, and then for the spouse that that doesn't, um, or for the individual that doesn't have a spouse in group, um, I think the context of this this I didn't choose for this to be put into my lap, yeah. but I have mm-hmm. a responsibility of what I do with it. Mm-hmm. And groups That's facilitate good. the processing yeah. of of your response to the situations that have been placed. Well, and some of it I think is a mindset about how we look at group that particularly when it comes to sexual integrity, we can think of, well, groups are for people that have a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's it was my husband's problem or it was my wife's problem. Obviously, they need a group. They have a problem. Right. I don't have a problem. But I think the mindset shift is to say groups aren't for people who have a problem. Groups are for people that need community. Mm-hmm. Groups are for people that That's need good. a healthy place to process yeah. and understand life. And I, right. I think whether you're the one struggling or the spouse, there is a voice in your head that tells you there's something wrong with you. That the reason he's struggling or the reason she had the affair is because there's something deficient about you, which at the end of the day is an isolating voice. That's not something like you were saying, Trevor. It's not something we want to face or deal with. So it feels safer and easier just to kind of cocoon up and, well, they have the problem. Go get fixed. I don't have a problem. I don't need to be fixed. But the isolation, in a sense, is your problem Mm -hmm. and, and that you're being removed from people and feeling like you're alone. And so... If we could develop a mindset that says group is for those who need community, that mm-hmm. need relationships and openness and a place to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and safe and mm-hmm. tell your whole story, 
well, then I think everyone says, well, boy, that'd be good for me. Whether I have a problem or not, I could use better Mm -hmm. relationships and a place to be open and vulnerable. Uh, That might change how we feel about uh, the need for group. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, you know, how we think about the groups and how we refer to them, the the language we use, the the phraseology in promoting groups can be very, very important. So what what kind of language, wording, phrases should we use when promoting a pure desire group for healing and recovery? And maybe yeah. what shouldn't we say? <laughs> yeah, what, say yeah, what's the first what's helpful we, to avoid? When I was reading that question, the first thing that came to mind was all the things we shouldn't say. You know, we have this if you struggle with this problem with right. pornography, well, we have something. If you for viewed it. pornography in the last twenty-four hours, right. this group is yeah. right. right. Please stand up. Yeah. Please stand up. Raise right. a hand. We'll pray. Eyes will be closed, right. which they never we'll are. We'll have wives over there. Right. Yeah. You're going to have to yeah. use the side entrance from yeah. here on out. Uh, but, but I think as far as that goes, we we really need to use uh, make this a common, make this inclusive, mm-hmm. normalize the 100%. conversation yeah. uh, when we talk about groups uh, from, hopefully from the pulpit and hopefully from announcements and up front, use things like we and I, not if you have a problem. Yep. It's we have, a, we have a situation. This world is very uh, deeply steeped in pornography. It's deep, mm-hmm. uh, it's steeped in sexual. It's yeah, it's everywhere. So let's just acknowledge it and say we all experience it. We all see it. We know it's a problem. Yep. We, have, uh, we have this group. We have this community, as as Nick would say, so and those, share stories. Yeah, absolutely. Share, share stories of success. Right, right. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we, you know, uh, statistics are revealing. Yeah. Uh, but For what sure. really connects people to to this is uh, a story of success. Mm-hmm. Pray, you know, let's let's hear them. So, and also promote groups with the same amount of passion that you would any other type of group. Yeah, that's you good. know, a, a women's Bible study, um, yeah. even children's ministry. This this issue yeah. um, is really loud in society, and the church mm-hmm. needs to be just as loud <laughs> in in talking about it. So, removing that stigma, removing that yeah. shame, mm-hmm. and and just being, hey, let's have a real talk about it. Um, I was listening to a, a, uh, I think it was just like a panel discussion, even just yesterday, uh, was watching it online and, um, it was flat out someone sent in a question and it's, you know, is masturbation right or wrong? And the pastor who actually is an influential pastor in the area, um, basically was like, well, when we're addressing that word and then points at the screen and then continues on. And it's like, Bro, you don't get what you just did. <laughs> like, right. and and of course, we don't nothing, even use the word. Nothing was right. like. I mean, they read it in the question, but then it's like, I don't want to say it again. Right. And like, is it kind of a dirty word in the church? Of course it is. Like, we get that. But I think that even that sort of thing, where if you're not even calling it what it is, like if you can't say penis or vagina, like mm-hmm. then what you're doing is creating this bubble of yes. of a culture it's that taboo. is like we don't talk. Yeah, we don't talk about this here. And so I think, yes, 100%, please use we, us together, but at the same time, actually use language that addresses it for what it is. Like we see sex as something that God created and it's in scripture. And if you preach the Bible, then bro, you got to talk about it. Like it's got to be part of the everyday language. Yeah. I I think that is a mistake that can be made when, when you advertise like, well, this is a group for purity. 
I mean, that's mm-hmm. a nice word, or integrity. Uh-huh. But what does um, that mean? But like, what can happen is the person who's maybe dealing with harder, harder stuff, they're looking at hardcore porn, or they're having affairs, they're like, oh, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. That's for normal men or normal women that just have a lust problem. Yep. I'm way beyond that. They don't right. know what to do with me. Right. And so I, I think to open that door and say, whether your issue is yep. your thought life, pornography, affairs, stuff online, like whatever it is, it's in the same spectrum and this group can help you. Yeah. So it's it's helping people see that there's no like out of bounds thing, I yep. can, like they can't help me with this. Yeah. Right. And the other thing I hear a lot, in fact, I just heard it not too recently at a church I was at, uh, we use the word really. So if you really struggle in this area, <laughs> or if your marriage is really not going well, or if you really need help, because what, what immediately happens, and this is one of the crazy things about our struggle with sexuality, is we uh, simultaneously struggle with shame about what we're doing, mm-hmm. but also rationalize and deny that we have a problem. Yeah. So as soon as you hear someone say, well, if you really struggle, 99% of the people go, well, I don't really struggle. Because right. whatever it is we're dealing with, we think the person who really struggles is one step further. Right. Yeah. And, and what's crazy to me is I've found that that can be at any level, that the person who's really, really deep, they still think, well, at least I'm not doing X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you mean is for X, n- not me. Yep. Right. So I don't really have a problem. Yep. And, and that's back to what you were saying, Dan, to just bring it up, like if, if this is in your life at all, because you know it's not healthy for you. You know it's something yeah. you don't really yep. want there. And yep. maybe it's not even that, maybe you don't even really have that big of a problem. <laughs> yeah. What, let's just make sure that this is a healthy part of our life. And I, I think it can help get through the denial and rationalization that we're all doing yeah. um, and not get caught in, oh, well, that's not for me. Right, yeah. totally. Yeah. So um, promoting groups, and I think I'm going to try not to get on a pedestal a little bit or a platform with this one, but I think that um, far too often my experience in the church has been uh, you hear a great message or you hear a great testimony and basically the call to action or the driving force is just now go out and grow or go out and do something great. And everyone like high fives each other and walks out of the sanctuary. And then really what we all think to ourselves is like, well, now what do I do? Right. Like, where am, where am I going? What am I doing? Like, what are the steps? And so I think that especially when it comes to promoting groups with sexual integrity and recovery, it's even more important to have like a direct, very specified call to action. Mm-hmm. And so, and you guys' experience in the church as RGAs, what should that call to action look like for people? Well, f- first of all, um, it's really important that your church staff, the whole staff, understands what pure desire is. Sometimes we have run into the problem where um, the lead pastor will understand, supports it, you have the covering, and someone comes into the church office, says, I kind of heard about this thing, saw it on your website, and they explain it in a way that is not accurate yeah. to what pure desire actually or, oh, is. Oh, I didn't know that we had those groups. Yeah. That happens too. Yeah. So actually what Dan yeah. and I ended up doing, we um, when we started groups, well, maybe not when we started, it was quite a bit later actually, but I would we recommend learned. when you learn. The day I stepped in the group, we, yeah. No, but when yeah. you do start leading groups, um, we found it effective to um, be a part of the of the church uh, staff meeting. We introduced ourselves, told a little bit about our background, shared some of the statistics, and then um, shared what pure desire was, and then shared what we want to have communicated, gave just a couple of little samples Mm -hmm. of what we want communicated when someone walks in the door so that everyone's on the same page. There was a lot of confusion to start with. 
But from the aspect of, okay, now the church knows, everyone's on board, this is being communicated, um, what do you do now? Let's say they're in the middle of groups and someone's on a waiting list. Um, What do you do then? Or what if someone just wants information and they're not quite sure yet? So something that Dan has done for years, um, Wednesday morning, coffee, 6.30, Everyone knows that he's available to do that. So maybe someone's waiting That's to get cool. into group or um, isn't quite ready. They can just be co- they can come and be a part of a community of um, believers and people that are in process, people that aren't even in process, and just get together and just be in community until they're ready to take that next step. So yeah. that's something we've done for that's super cool. seven years. And then- You um, said that was Wednesdays at yeah. 630. <laughs> Wednesday, my, 630. My, my next question is, is like, why <laughs> haven't we been invited <laughs> at 630 on Wednesdays? I thought uh, you were healed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> everyone's still in recovery, Jim. That's true. So. Okay. <laughs> and then the other thing- um, that I would do because I'm not that person to get up at 6.30 in the morning and go to coffee. Um, what I would do with a person that called me for the first time, I'd say, I'm very sorry to hear about what you're experiencing. What are your thoughts on getting together for coffee mm. around 3 p.m.? Ten. <laughs> um, or 10, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what I would Three generally works. do. Three works. <laughs> Um, but but I would meet with that individual one-on-one f- for their very first experience having this conversation. Yeah. And I did that with every single person. Um, first of all, so that they could have a mm. face, they could, they could hear a story, yeah. they could feel connected, and yeah. then they could decide what their next steps were. So it was kind of the same idea. Dan did it in more of a group setting. I'm more of a one-on-one girl. So um, yeah, I think the key, the key is to be responsive. Yeah, uh, have people have available. A plan, have have people available. Something in place. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. make sure you have something ready for them, whether it's group or yeah. some sort of community. Yeah, and I think that's so key if you're a pastor or a leader that this isn't maybe your personal story, but you have a passion for it. You want to help people. Yes. That if you can utilize someone in your church or community that has a story of healing, and they don't have to be perfect, but they're moving the right direction. Maybe they've been in group a while, or yeah. they're one of your group leaders to to connect people to them because that that's going to be a lot more meaningful yeah. that they hear someone else's story yes. Yes. and you can become the facilitator that right. they don't need an expert to explain the whole process and teach them the principles and sure. they they just need a phone number to say why yeah. don't you call Dan he'd love to meet for coffee yeah. he can talk to right. you more yeah. about our groups and what our church does and tell you his story that that that's that's really a, an important relational step and the thing i think about in this question uh what you said in the question itself, Trevor, that there needs to be a clear next step. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we emphasized when we were running groups was, if you're a man, who do you call? Mm. And if you're a woman, who do you call? Or it could having be an both email. of those is super yep, important. It, and yeah. it needs to be, you know, men for men and right. women for yes. women. Hopefully we don't need to say that, but probably is good that even <laughs> Again, if- clear, to. That's good, yeah. Even if women have to contact a male staff member, for some, they'll be like, well, I'm not going to talk to him about it. So I, I guess I'll just wait. Yeah. So I, I think that context, but it's also important to emphasize, and this is the only person that will know you've contacted right. them. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. what we don't always remember in a church system is that people feel like if I make a contact, then where does my name go? Yes. Does it go on the church prayer chain? Mm-hmm. Um, will it be discussed at staff meeting? <laughs> mm-hmm. Will it show up in the bulletin next? I mean, <laughs> and we might laugh like, oh, who would ever do that? But it that's a fear yeah, people have. Like, yeah. what if the group roster yeah. gets printed up and put right. in the bulletin? I'm not joining that. Right. So I think to encourage, again, back to our first question, like, the groups are public that we have them, yeah. but the information about who's in them is kept very, very yeah. confidential yeah. for yeah. the safety of the person that 
they they don't want to do yeah. this, that first step yeah. feels huge. And if they know, oh, you know, they see in the bulletin, all I need all I need to do is email Mary and ask about groups. I mm-hmm. can do that. And she's the only one that'll know. Or if I'm a guy, I just yeah. call Bob, yeah. I text Bob, and he's gonna tell me more. Yeah. That's a safe first step. Yeah. And the other thing about it that I think sometimes people don't think through is you've got to give them a step they can do when their spouse isn't with them, Yeah, yeah. which maybe yes. sounds like, well, what do you mean? But yeah. for a lot of couples, the, the spouses don't know the extent to what's going on. They maybe yeah. know a little bit or it came up five years ago, but they don't know it's still a problem. And if they have to respond in a way right there with their spouse sitting next to them, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, I'm not ready to have that conversation. Right. But if the next day while I'm at work, I have a phone number and I can text Bob, well, now it's it's something I can do because totally. I can do it in a confidential, safe yeah. time and way. So that clear next step and having it be a person and that's the only person that will know, I think you need to emphasize that. And I think too that in that sometimes people can think that that approach, you're trying to be secretive or you're trying to keep things um, like almost like you're creating potentially that shameful culture. And really you're not, it's just protection and mm-hmm. confidentiality because that's such a huge piece on the because front Because the person is already stuck in yes, shame. Yes, exactly. So that, you're just trying to realize- exactly. They're going to need help to break out of that. We've yeah. got to make it easy and right. safe for them mm-hmm. to take that first step. Yeah, you're because six them. months down the yeah. road, they might stand in front of your whole church and tell their story. Right. But at the front end, it's like I don't even want my spouse to know. So right. yeah. <laughs> they're stuck in that isolation. You've got to make it easy to take the first step out. Yeah. And also when you're when you're um, going through the process, sometimes you'll run into somebody. Oh, how do you know so and so? And your eyes get kind of big. <laughs> you might hold your breath for just a moment, and <laughs> it's through a Bible study. Yeah. <laughs> but the confidentiality piece is is huge yeah. um, from from the very beginning through the entire process um, without direct permission from the individual yeah. attending group. Totally, um, that confidentiality level is maintained. You know, and as a group leader in church, I would tell people that I'd say, hey, if if we bump into each other at church or around town, I will never bring up our group. Mm -hmm. Now, if if you choose to, if you feel safe, great. We we can talk. It's not taboo. But I want you to know that when you see me, you don't have to be like, oh no, is he going to mention our group? And (laughs) -and so-and-so is here. I brought my friend today. Like, I'll just be very casual about it. And and that comfort zone of, oh, we can still be normal people outside a group is helpful. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things we see is that um, churches and or communities that communicate recovery as being very integrated into their ministry, kind of a, a central part of how they do discipleship, that they tend to be more successful. They tend to have more groups that grow, more people that end up leading. So how can we communicate the necessity of these groups um, as a central piece to the church's local ministry, especially if maybe we haven't had them at all? How do we incorporate them into the life of the church? Yeah, I, I think we we mentioned that a little bit earlier, talking about just normalizing this issue. It's not special and more uh, severe than than other things. The consequences uh, can be really devastating. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, we are where there's people, there's problems. And one of the problems happens to be we cope in all sorts of different ways, yeah. whether it's shopping, eating, pornography, a, a litany of things, angry, a- anger, things like that. Yeah. So once we can say, hey, look, this is just a symptom mm-hmm. of a greater problem. And hey, this one, we've got some great stuff that we can help you uh, deal with it. So really normalize it 
and talk about it again as a we and an us and an inclusive yeah. manner. And I think that really, really helps. Mm -hmm. And and talk about it often. You yes. know, when it comes up in uh, a sermon at church, mm -hmm. hopefully your pastor's willing to say something about yeah. it. And you know, yep. we've got this. Um, so yeah, the issue directly affects families. And if the enemy can can take out our families, then right. then that directly impacts society. Yeah. So um, making the connection between the importance of the ministry itself and its effect in families and on the church and in society is um, yeah. an integral piece of of the entire thing. Mm -hmm. I've had uh, really d two things. Um, one of them I've been saying for a while now is is the idea that. Um, if the marriage covenant is the clearest picture mm -hmm. or is the clearest mm -hmm. imagery signifying Christ's relationship with the church, then what's the one thing that would get attacked more often than not? Yeah. And it's marriage. Yeah. And there are statistics out there that uh, an unbelievable amount of divorces are caused with some sort of sexual issue as one of the main reasons why it takes place. Yeah. And so, of course, you would attack the one thing that the church doesn't like to talk about yes. and people yeah. don't like to share about, yep. mm -hmm. whether it's divorce or anything in the sexual realm, and then just make sure everyone feels like they're the only one struggling with it. Mm -hmm. And then there you go. Like yeah. you have created an epidemic in the church, no right. problem. And so I think that that is one reason why it has to be central. The language has to be uh, common and yes. often... And then even the second thing, just like we are literally born sexual beings. So people are not born alcoholics, born cocaine addicts, but they are born sexual. And so if something that is tied to you biologically from the day, like literally from the day in your mother's womb that that part of your body was formed, you are a sexual being. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think that to not talk about it and not make it something that's central when it's something that every single person for all of history and humanity will always have tied to their their body and their biology and their existence, then you have to make it central. Yeah. It has to be something. That's good. Yeah. And what you're talking about, Trevor, is holistic spirituality, yeah. that, that we don't mature in Christ only in our spirit. Mm -hmm. yes. It would be great if that's all we had to focus on. <laughs> But we are Church. relational, physical, mm -hmm. mental, emotional, sexual. And you say, well, what part of that life does Christ want to redeem and help grow? Yep. Right. Well, obviously, the answer is all of it, that mm -hmm. it's all connected, yes. it's all integrated. And the, the challenge for so many people is no one has ever taught them how to integrate their sexuality into their spirituality. And so there's this component of their life that it's like, yeah, I don't really know what to do with this. I just <laughs> focus on all the other stuff yep. and hope this piece yep. somehow magically catches up. And right. What we're seeing happening in the church is it doesn't. If we don't help people mature in their sexuality towards mm -hmm. Christ's likeness, it can be the very thing that trips them up and derails them over and over and over. And so just normalizing it as this is just one of the ways we're maturing in Christ. Mm -hmm. And the more people hear that and, and they feel it's actually safe to do, it really can transform people's journey. Yeah, yeah that's good. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this um, a little bit already, and then in a previous podcast, we even talked about um, some of this as well, but so many men and women are caught in addiction or betrayal, feel completely hopeless. Um, so in, in promoting these groups, how do we instill hope? How do we inspire people that hope is actually real, it's possible? How do we do that? Share your story. I mean, that's to me that that's the most powerful thing an individual can do. We can we can write all type all kinds of books. We can go to all kinds of events, but I think most of us are mostly are um, deeply impacted 
by knowing yeah. an individual and hearing their story, mm-hmm. hearing the struggle, hearing the growth through the struggle, hearing how they came out of it. I think by far the most effective way to do that is to um, pursue your healing and then share that experience with other people yep. and walk alongside them in their own process. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, definitely sharing your story, making sure it's not, again, when we go back to the making sure it's a part of the church, mm-hmm. it's just another aspect of life that we live with. But I can't tell you how many times uh, Jen and I have shared our story with someone, um, and then all of a sudden, four days later, a guy will come back and say, yeah. you know, I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. Here's what I'm struggling with. Yep. They would have never said anything right. like Whether that. Whether it's the I, same thing or not, yeah. they still feel like you're a safe person. Yeah. I can come tell you what I'm struggling with. Yeah. And I think living on a level of transparency, mm-hmm. I think that that's probably what's, yeah. um, besides divine intervention, um, mm-hmm. that's probably what's changed our family dynamic with yeah. um, our children the most. Yeah. Our children are adults. And the level of transparency that we have with them mm-hmm is probably uncomfortable for most people we know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we <laughs> totally. talk freely about porn, masturbation, infidelity. Yeah. And I'll tell um, you what, there's a real joy in watching your uh, junior high son's friends come into yes. a room where we're having a conversation about masturbation, and yeah. that's nothing that they've ever experienced, and their eyes right. get about yeah. as big <laughs> well, as anything. We, right. did, we yeah. did have one of those moments, and our other son said, oh, don't worry, this is, we talk really yeah. openly this in is our yeah. home, and we're like, yes. yeah. Here. Yeah. So I think part of that is living in as transparently as you possibly can, mm-hmm. and through that transparency, yeah. it opens the doors to, yeah. to bring others in and share that story of hope. Yeah. It's like pointing... Um, I was going to use an analogy. Maybe I'll use it. It's like pointing at the map and saying, look, uh, you can get here Mm -hmm. versus actually having someone who's been there tell the story. This is what it was like when I got there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's that idea of like, you can tell someone that that freedom and healing is possible and that's great. You can give them the steps to do it. That's also great. But you have to show them someone who's done it before. So that it's like, oh, that person's normal, just like me, mm-hmm. maybe has the same job or same family of origin or has been married this long or has this many kids, even that person can find freedom. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's a phrase I use often and Nick makes fun of me sometimes for it, but that aspirational identity, like what can these people aspire to give them that vision? And that vision comes in the form of someone who's experienced healing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think a lot of times um, the church loves a great story where you've been and where you are now. Mm -hmm. Very few people like to be a part of that story. We had um, our friends, um, we had two friends that that ran toward our darkness rather than away from it, Mm. which I think is unfortunately pretty rare, especially Mm -hmm. in the church. And I think we want to be a church. We want to be a people. We want to be friends and family that run towards people's darkness instead Mm -hmm. of away from it. Well, and I think what we're trying to do is help give hope that real change is possible. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's one of the greatest lies Christians believe uh, along the lines of our sexuality is that you're just always going to struggle. That's just the way it's going to be. Men will be men, or we say boys will be boys, which is ironic. Um, (laughs) And and like, well, it's just, you just got to deal with it as best you can. It's like, no, there's transformation here. Your Mm -hmm. brain can change. Your thoughts can change. Your pattern can be different. It's not just try to keep it under control. It's it's transformation. And I think many people in their thinking have have never really considered that, that I don't have to live this way. Yep. So I, I think when we tell our stories, mm-hmm. when we talk about transformation, we give person hope that 
I could actually get there. That's yes. not just a place yeah. I think about. Like I could get yep. to that destination yep. Yep. and that's exciting. Yep. And the other point that is really encouraging, or it was for me at least, was someone saying, yeah, this, you can get there. I can show you and you have no idea what else it will heal. It's, oh, it's yeah. not yeah, simply so just a behavior. Yeah. Your, your whole life will transform because yep. yes. you're not just fixing some behavior that you want. You're, you're right. changing the way you think, the beliefs that you have. And uh, that, again, it's good. completely transformational. So promoting groups we've established is super yes. important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only is it important to promote them, but doing it the right way mm-hmm. and the effective way and the inclusive inviting way mm-hmm. is also essential for these yeah. types of groups. Um, and really, I'm, I'm willing to say this, that it's essential for people to find healing. You can be the one who makes that a really easy door to walk through or a really difficult brick wall for them to run into. And so I think it's super important. Uh, you guys, obviously, with your experience, super helpful, awesome conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe, download, and share. You can also rate and review our podcast. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for others to find the podcast. If you'd like to support the message of hope and healing and developing sexual integrity, go to puredesire.org slash give. And for more information about the ministry, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can also follow us on social media, at puredesirepdmi. Once again, that's at puredesirepdmi. We'll see you next time. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we're the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.